unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat? A-hole. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to a Halloween special of Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. I'm scared already. But there's a reason to be scared, because this month we are covering the 1988 Tim Burton classic that is Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice! In this episode, we are going to be going back to a film which I had not seen for a long time, uh, a film that I had not seen since I'd watched all of his other films, so very interesting look back on one of Tim Burton's most earliest films in his portfolio. His second feature. Thank you, George. Well, I'd just like to try and block out the whole Pee Wee Herman's being his first film. I, th I'd, I think I'd prefer to say that this is officially his breakout. This is his calling card. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to be covering, you know, the cult classic, the fun, the jokes, the music, Music, the great characters, the genius of Michael Keaton, yeah, the annoyance that that created in Alec Baldwin, and the other character actors that make this film stand up so well today. And just general Tim Burtonisms. Yeah, the Burtonisms, the Burton template, the Danny Elfman music, the dark humor, the the quirky set design. Exactly. But before we delve any further into the occult in a really acceptable, yet slightly effeminate way. Here's George with some general housekeeping. Housekeeping. We are film lovers, we are not experts, so we may get the, the odd bit of trivia incorrect or forget the occasional actor's name. There will be spoilers from the, the very beginning. Make sure you've seen this film. Yes, that, that goes without saying. There will be swearing, so if you have any children around, let them know that this is a PG-13 rated episode. And we will occasionally say fuck or bugger, but rarely together. Yes, or tits. And yeah, there might be the occasional bad impression. I don't think there's any Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions coming nope. up. There's uh, no Christopher Walken, sad to say. Um, there's no Alan Partridge. So yeah, but you know, we aim to, to entertain there, but we also aim to inform you as well. So um, inspire you to go back and give them it a rewatch. Yeah, it's all about revisiting the films that we grew up with. Hopefully the audio is okay. We do our best. We record these, you know, together in the same room. With cups and string. Yeah, so, you know, it's the latest technology that we can get our hands on. Check out the blog, check out the social media, but you know, this is for your own enjoyment, so here it's coming. On with the show. Beetlejuice. Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Yeah, you don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. He's guaranteed to put some life Attention, King in your afterlife. 
Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. So, George, Beetlejuice, it's Halloween, 998, Tim Burton, we've got Michael Keaton, we've got Alec Bowen, we've got Gina Davis, and we've got a bunch of other character actors who had no idea what sort of careers they had ahead of them. So, as we like to normally do, we're going to start with the production chat. So, how did Tim Burton make this a reality? Well, we, we touched on this during our Batman episode, so... Following the surprise success of Burton's first film, his first feature film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I don't think... I've, I'm a big I've Burton seen, fan. It was when we had Sky. It was yeah. on. We've watched bits of it. But I just never committed th to actually sitting down and watching it. I think the problem being that Pee-wee Herman is a very irritating character. Yeah. So anyway, following the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Burton was in demand. And he had entered talks on doing a taking on the Batman script with writer Sam Hamm, but Warner Brothers said, mm, we're, we're not entirely convinced, still need to earn your stripes sort of type thing. So he was looking at a bunch of other scripts and he was handed a script for Beetlejuice uh, by producer David Geffen from Geffen Productions. I think they were linked with uh, MTV and stuff in the 80s. All of Guns N' Roses, George. We wouldn't have any of those albums. Because of all, Geffen. They were all under the Geffen record label. Really? So I think, yeah, he made his money in rock. Rock and music. Music to television. It'll never work. Yeah. So, yeah, he was passed this script by a guy called uh, Michael McDowell, um, who's, in all honesty, his name I'm not familiar with. But interestingly, the original script was a full-on horror film. So I can see that. <laughs> so Beetlejuice was originally a winged reptilian demon that transformed into a small Middle Eastern man <laughs> um, who interacted with the Maitlands and the Dietzes. So that, that sort of same sort of structure of the Maitlands dying and the, and the Dietzes moving in but they had two children. So there was Lydia, who was a minor character, who was a teenager. And then there was a, a younger uh, daughter called Kathy, who was the, being a child, she was the one that was able to see the, the Maitland ghosts. Beetlejuice's goal was, ultimate goal was to kill the Dietzes rather than frighten them away. And apparently the script included sequences where he mauled the younger child in the form of a rabid squirrel and he tried to rape Lydia. Nice. Can't see us getting a PG-13 rating. Fun for all the family. Two yeah. thumbs up. So unsurprisingly, Burton really, like with his quirky black sort of sense of humour, I think there was elements of dark humor in this script but it kind of seem feels like a very much run-of-the-mill 70s 80s horror film a bit like exorcist omen doesn't it by yeah. the sounds of it whereas contained but, in a house yeah so it's so a burton wasn't happy with that so w one of the other producers um so yeah one producer is david geffen the other producer was a guy called larry wilson and he worked reworked the story with michael mcdowell and interestingly Larry Wilson would also go on to co-write the Adams Family film. So has obviously has a bit of a... Yeah, the tones a, have definitely carried over. Yeah, for that sort of 
gothic family horror comedy but also uh, Burton brought on a, a guy called Warren Scarron um, who is again another producer but comes script writer and he did rewrites on the Batman script as well okay so he's establishing kind of a team here yeah yeah so um, they did uh, rewrites on the script turned it into more of a comedy and turned Beetlejuice for into a wisecracking con artist rather than winged demon, Middle Eastern <laughs> winged. sex pest, murderer, <laughs> rapist. We're getting much better track of the quirky, quirky con man type person than we are on the rapey, rabid, rapey, rabid squirrel, <laughs> Middle Eastern man. Another one of the uh, the key parts that uh, Warren Scarron put in his rewrite was they like they took out apparently the the Maitland's death so Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's death was a lot more graphic and drawn out so they what do you took, mean rather than a Volvo falling into a river yeah exactly there was like it was really sort of you saw them like properly drown and struggle and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, but he also added in the whole part about the afterlife being a complex bureaucracy Mm-hmm. which I think is one of the film's key strengths. There's a lot of jokes that stem from that right all the way through to the very end. Even there's some, obviously we're going to talk about the music in this film, but a lot of the stylistic things that were decided about the afterlife very much demonstrate um, what I like to say the palette of Tim Burton, don't they? Well, that's it. There, there, there's, I, I don't know, I think this is something that we're going to touch on throughout this chat. There's, there's so much... Burtonisms. Yeah, Tim Burton go- going wild. And, it, and there's so much that's established in this film that has carried on into his other films. We'll, we'll launch into sort of like going through the film, but you've got that great opening. And again, this is something that's probably credited to the original script of that transition between it panning over the small town and then it transitions very subtly fades into actually being the model town. Yes, yeah. Um, with the spider crawling over the house. And I just have memories of... We have, well, we haven't covered first memories because I don't think either you and I can pin it down. It's probably with yeah. close friends. Unpin-downable is the way I'd like to call it. I just, yeah, there's this... It was almost like we heard about this film, we saw it advertised... Probably, probably saw it far too young. Yeah, so, and saw it advertised at cinema, we saw the movie posters for it, but I don't think this popped on our radar until Batman came out, and then we were like, have you not heard about Beetlejuice? Or That's how I remember. I remember Batman being a thing, and me discovering this after Batman. Well, the interesting... Which was a year later, right? Yeah, Batman was literally yeah. a year later. As I say, this the was... The next Halloween. This was the sort of the, the calling card... For for Burton, this was yeah. I say, yeah, we covered that in the episode. Yeah. This is how he got to make Batman. He got was, the gig. He, yeah. You know, if it, if Beetlejuice was a success, but the interesting thing is that I remember is that I remember you know obviously we've talked about my my love of Batman and how how many times I watched that as a kid. I didn't realize when I was a kid that Michael Keaton was the same person that played... The Beetlejuice was the same person played by the same no, person as Batman. That's my memory of Beetlejuice. My memory of Beetlejuice is not being able to get my head around the fact it's like, well, that he was Batman. It looks nothing like him. And it sounds so ridiculous because obviously there's some great makeup and I think it even won an Academy Award for makeup. That's the Oscar. I think on Oscar for yeah. makeup. Yeah. And obviously you only see him... It's not like the Batman-Bruce Wayne transformation. You oh, don't no, see you- him 
you know, before he was Beetlejuice, you only see him in that guise. They're always that. You see him with a slightly smaller head, but I mean, it's essentially... <laughs> yeah, but that was it. It was sort of like, I think we'd watched Beetlejuice for quite a few years before the penny dropped. It was like, I can't, I, to be honest, I can't remember. I just, I remember not joining the dots between this is Michael Keaton here and this is Michael Keaton yeah. here. Going like, really I suppose nuts. we were at that age of, oh no, it's that, there's the guy who plays Beetlejuice and then there's... Yeah. You, you weren't sort of that aware of who what goes who. on yeah. behind this. Yeah. Obviously, it's you know we've talked about it's got a a great cast. You've got character actors, but you've actually got some quite big actors at that 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 time. So you've got Alec Baldwin. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the th- the point I was trying to make is we you look back on this film now and you say, oh, Wayona Ryder was in it, but obviously back then this film belonged to um, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and Michael Keaton. They, they, it was their film. It was the three of them. Well, Would, it, wasn't it? it? I mean, well, that's how I see it. Well, they're, they're, they're the three on the front cover. Yeah. And they, I think they were the three. The, the Gina yeah. Davis and Alec Baldwin were the, were the up and coming. Well, this was, I think it was One Out of Rider's second feature film. Yeah. And it was basically her breakout role, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Like, introducing Wyona yeah, Ryder. She, she pretty much, if you think about. Heather's um, obviously another Tim Burton joint, but Edward Scissorhands, um, you know, all those that that sort of her key moment of fame, you know, sort of late 80s, early 90s, before she went mental shoplifting and before Stranger She annoyed things. me in pretty much everything until I saw her in the first season of Stranger Things in the last few years, and I thought she was brilliant in mm. that. And you never know. I don't think she was acting. Uh, I think that's probably what was so good about it. Like, she really looks deranged. She does deranged really well. Uh, but it does go to say that those actors and actresses who are worried about, you know, whether I like them or not, that, you know, Kristen Stewart, there's still time for her. <laughs> Even though I hate her. What, for her to turn to shoplifting? Yeah, if she turns to shoplifting and gets a bit unhinged, I might actually start enjoying her films. Amazon cold medicine. <laughs> um... But yeah, the thing is I couldn't get... Again, it's one of those things that you sort of retrospectively look back. I don't remember Alec Baldwin. I don't remember Alec Baldwin looking like that, never mind being in this film. Looking so young and looking so thin. And I mean, you think I watched uh, Hunt for the Red October recently and that's only, I think, three years later. And he's... He piles on. And he's he's filled out into his face. Not saying he was fat, like even in the... In Hunt for Red October, but his face is filled out, his hair's dark, and he's probably Alec Baldwin. Whereas this, he's very skinny, he's light-haired, he's... It's a very different role for him. I also think, because... I don't know, I think Alec Baldwin is kind of like Nicolas Cage. Like, you don't know what's going on with him. Like, he makes he's made some interesting choices through his career. Sometimes he wants you to take him very seriously as an actor, and a lot of the time he's taking the piss out of himself. Mm. Obviously, I think... Um, we talked about uh, Fallout, how good he's been in the recent Mission Impossible films. I liked him. I think I liked him in 30 Rock. I didn't watch a lot of that, but I liked him he's, in he's, that. He seems like in his later career, he's found that niche is more comedy. Again, he he's went gone back to comedy. He's yeah. gone back to comedy. And he is a very talented comedian. But that's bring me back to the point that I wanted to make is that he has, as we're going to talk obviously a lot about Keaton, we're going to, the word range is going to come mm. up, and I whether intentionally or not, but he is playing almost like this closet effeminate character. It's a very weird. Do you not get that? Yeah, it's a very effeminate well, Alec Baldwin that we ever ever since Humphrey Robbins. I'm very in charge of my sexuality. Well. A- 
Apparently, I can't uh, officially back this up with any stats. Um, but but re- reading online, yeah, I, I couldn't find much research behind it. But apparently, Alec Baldwin isn't a fan. Is one of his least favorite films and performances. And part of me thinks I'm muddled. I'm just reading between yeah. the lines that I think he, he's a bit pissed off that the limelight was stolen by Keaton, Keaton, yeah, who's in the film a lot less than he is, but he's still billed as the title character. Yeah, because why is it that Baldwin's are such Hollywood royalty? There must be a dad or a mum or an uncle or something. Well, they, they can't just have all the, the entire family just uh, rocked up and Hollywood's like, oh, you're good, so your brother's in this and your other brother's in that. There must be a link somewhere. Your, your other brothers are a lot cheaper. Do you know um, what sucks about being a Baldwin? Nothing! <laughs> I'm not, not entirely sure, but yeah, this, like, I say, it seemed like it was a completely different role for him in terms of his other yeah mega serious broody sexy husky baldwin type stuff before he yeah as as we're talking about more sort of later part of his career getting silly again gina davis it's kind of you know she's obviously very talented actress has had a bit of a weird sort of career yeah up and down career but she's tried to resuscitate it with a long kiss goodnight but that basically just launched Samuel L. Jackson more than helped her. Yeah. She's that, not a mu- that's the last big movie I can remember her being in. No, she... You're right. I mean, she has resurfaced. I think she's done a bit of... She's done the classic thing that you and I were talking about um, before the podcast about she's she's been one of the f- uh, people that's moved into TV. I think she's done yeah. a few good... Uh, TV dramas. I don't know if she or you you've seen House of Cards. I thought she was in something like that. She was in some sort of political stuff, you know, political TV She's drama. Still paying the bills and and taking yeah. serious roles. But she does definitely does have that look. When I saw that, because I was trying to think, you look back at this film or you remember this film. It's the title of the film. It's the Beetlejuice character. But then you watch it. Alec Baldwin is in this because mm. I was like trying to remember. Who's the husband? Who's the husband? Yeah. And do you know what? I looked, you look at the movie poster and obviously Beetlejuice is holding his head, you know, his yeah. severed head. And it's hard to put it together. And it's the fact that it looks so unlike the Alec Baldwin that we know. <laughs> I think I could be forgiven for forgetting he was even in this film. And I think as you've just quite rightly pointed out, that's probably why he doesn't like this film. Yeah, he's, he's a bit player in it. Because he's in it a lot. Yeah. He's in it a lot. He's a main but he, character, but, but, but he's, he's not remembered for it. But he's not really a standout. <laughs> As well as it being Burton's second film, it's also Danny Elfman's second score. So I think, yeah, Danny Elfman did work on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And again, a bit like the impact that's had on other Burton films. It's so Danny Elfman. I don't know how to describe it, but there's definite strings of um, echoes of the Batman soundtrack, especially the, oh, yeah. what I'd say, the Joker theme from the Batman soundtrack. So you haven't got, obviously, the... No, but it's that quirky, creepy, circus-type vibe to it going on. Yeah, definitely. But there's some great design in this, and it's funny because you've got that that culture clash that that Burton does, again, so well in his other films, but you've got... And one of the things that you and I joke about in our reminiscing about the 80s is the 80s phenomenon known as the yuppies yeah oh god this is um, so 80s and i mean obviously celebrating yuppies i mean it's obviously not as 
celebrating and as strong as The Secret of My Success, which I think is the ultimate yuppie. That is the ultimate yuppie film, which can only be watched after taking serious <laughs> amounts of Colombian marching power. No, I mean, or Bolivian, whatever it's called. But I mean, that is the 80s uh, yuppies heyday. But you see glimpses, of, massive glimpses of it. I think um, a Christmas favorite of us, because it's not that far away, is the um, is the National Lampoons. And in the Christmas film, there's some brilliant yuppies in that. You've got the, uh, the next door neighbors. The next door neighbors. Yeah. But I mean, that's just a glimpse of it. However, in this film, we've got the exorbitance of it. We've got what would happen to a lovely, a really weird looking house from the outside, but it looks actually quite nice on the inside. What would happen to a nice house if the yuppies were let loose? Yes, well, well that's it. It's that sort of... That's the true horror yeah, of it's, this it, film. It's that fear of, yeah, the, the, the modern New York yuppies invading small town America. And that's what... Something I probably picked up on for the first time is that... Well, that's the uh, gag. The gag in this is that the ghosts aren't the ghouls. No, no, no. The it's, ghouls are from New no, York and they're yuppies. No, no, it's, it's the... Because I suppose you don't get much time to spend with the, the Maitlands, with Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis before they are bumped off by that sweet dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was the dog that murdered the them. The dog killed them. But... Dogs, I dogs I in the sequel. I didn't work out... I think it's the first time I worked out that when they pop into town and I thought, I think previously, oh, he's just popping into that shop and it's so relaxed. He's just, you know, an honesty thing, but he runs the hardware store. And I think they've, because it's called Maitland Store. So he pops, he needs to pop into town to get some tools because they're obviously fixing up their house, their dream house type mm -hmm. thing. And that never clicked with me that they are part of the community. They are, I think they've recently moved there, but obviously they're not yuppies. Yeah. And they're part of the fabric of the community. But then, yeah, you've got this whole thing and it properly takes the, the piss out of that sort of, well, I was going to say Californian, but it, I think they are, I say the- They seem to be city slickers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're city slickers. I mean, if anything of the, um, well, it seems much more man. Our, our appreciation of yuppies from America is very much like what's parodied in American Psycho. It's the Manhattan, you know, yeah, cosmopolitan the, drinking, financial, the art, art culture, the art, the art crowd. Yeah, yeah. as we've seen through our yeah. small screens. Yeah, and yeah, you've got. I've just got my notes. Release the yuppies, and you've also got. <laughs> Let's have the yuppies over for dinner. And there's like ortho. Yeah. Also, that the camp stylist, but also has dabbles in the occult. Yeah. But also knows all the right people. Well, I studied the occult, and yeah. it's just like, oh god. He's suited to the to the plot. There is there's a there is actually a slight homophobic jibe at him by the girl that's with him. It's like I can't imagine you ever being interested in girls or yeah. something like that. There's there's a there's a backhanded comment like that. But he's great. He's chewing up the scenery. But just to talk about the thematics for a second i do love what burton does with this film where it's like imagine there's a haunted house right and there's a couple who are trying to but the real ghouls are the people that move in well and the real horror is what they do to that house in terms of design yeah. it's a brilliant and celebration and, and of everything that and, is yuppie and and it's a brilliant inversion on the classic uh, ghost story it's like the haunted what, house well let's yeah. let's look at it from the ghost point of view why are they scaring the people it's like this is our house, get out. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. We want to keep it. It's why Winona Ryder's, uh, you know, breakout role, but she is ultimate goth girl prototype. Say, you know, she, do, can you do goth? <laughs> well, that's, I think she's probably inspired millions and millians of goth girls over the years. I mean, it was never a, a fashion that 
you or I what got appealed in, to us that, that you or I doubled in but we had friends who were goths we did have friends but it, for me it seems like it felt like more of a 90s thing rather than an 80s thing but I suppose it was, it was just emerging in well, I mean the but I'm saying we're, yeah. we're in this, we're in this it, el- element with, of we're going from the 80s into the 90s Tim Burton obviously king you of know, the goths king of the goths uh, uber goth uh, creator of many a goth inspired uh, Halloween look and it's no surprise that you know this is his genre he's very much in this sort of black comedy gothic sort mm. of style but yeah he probably was ahead of his time yeah. you know, in terms of his look you see some classic Burton stuff that's gone on to influence so much of his films like he has a real affectation for what I'm saying is is 50s kitsch that whole I say the the Harry Belafonte calypso music that whole when they go into the I'm calling it the netherworld or the you know the the, the world of the undead that whole I say the bureaucracy when they're in the waiting room and you've got the sort of da da you know subtle like yeah. background music everyone's got their tickets but there's some great design in that in terms of you know all the skeletons working away you've got the guy like hanging around like being carted around the room and stuff like the guy that's been run over and having their caseworker hasn't she had a throat slit yeah and she's I mean, smoking and the smoke's coming out of her throat yeah you've got her you've got the receptionist who's the Miss World who's like yeah committed suicide <laughs> and it's it's, I suppose it's, it's a great transplanting from that original horror concept to its very bleak black but it's comic. Funny. I mean, yeah, there are, in this film, there's some really weighty themes of the clearly that... Death. Um, you know, <laughs> or obviously, obviously death, but it's clear that uh, Lydia, you know, Wino Ryder's character, has depression. Yeah. There's, there's themes of suicide, and but the, the way that yuppies. it's... Yuppies. <laughs> <laughs> themes of yuppies. Art Nouveau and its dangers. <laughs> the, the dangers of Art Nouveau. But yeah, we, we're kind of talking around uh, a lot of the stuff, but when we haven't really got to... The, the the main act the main act the main reason why we love this film why everyone loves this film it is the title character it's Beetlejuice my wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions sure sure sure, sure. go ahead shoot. Well, for instance uh, what are your qualifications ah well I attended Juilliard I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? A man possessed. Michael Uh, Keaton. Unbelievable. And some stats for you. So... He doesn't, the title character doesn't appear until 25 minutes into the film. And in terms of percentage of how, how much he's in the film, do you want to give a guess? If he doesn't appear, that's almost like the first third because I know how long this film is. I'm going to say less than 20%. You're bang on. He's in it less than 20% of the film. I think it's something like his screen time from the whole film, which is an hour and a half, is something like 17 and a half minutes. Because he's referred to a lot. Like when, I say when they're talking with a caseworker, it's all, she's, she's like, don't say his name. And I, you, it's a long time before you see him because obviously there's the there's advert, adverts for him. Which is another Tim Burton thing. The yeah. whole, love that Joker. Yeah, great adverts. Um, there's the adverts. There's the, the, the talking about, he does not work well with others. Yeah. Um, so they, there's a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of, yeah. The, yeah, but I can understand that. And then even then he's in it. 
and then he goes away, but he's, he's almost like a device that he's a catalyst that moves the story yeah, along. It's, it's like keep an bringing antagonist, back in. yeah, keep bringing him back in. It's like they involve his help because they can't do it by themselves, and then they involve him, and things get out of control, and they need to get rid of him. So, like, he moves the story mm. along its natural progression. Well, they, I think they managed to, it's bizarre considering that. The film is billed like on the front cover of of the the original poster and the the DVD that I, I bought recently. It's Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. That <laughs> is the only thing on the front cover. Alec Baldwin is unhappy. <laughs> it is very unhappy. The uh, apparently. Um, they did a lot of filming before he was actually cast in the role. So that whole scene where after the Calypso bit where the where Beetlejuice you know becomes the the, the banister becomes the snake mm-hmm. apparently they did that whole scene and it was just an animatronic snake and it had no resemblance to Michael Keaton slash Beetlejuice mm. and then they had to go back and change that scene when Michael Keaton was cast to make it that connection of it's, it's not got just his a, head yeah, yeah it's not just some random snake it is um, it is Michael Keaton terror- terrorizing them so mm-hmm. it's interesting they obviously yeah did some filming before the title character was even cast. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just touched on it, but obviously the Harry Belafonte yeah. Calypso Deo sequence is so iconic to this film. It's so memorable. It's infectious. It, it stays is. in the head. And you can tell all the actors are having fun doing it. And you can imagine that that, you would have thought they got sick of that song, but in in each scene that they're doing it, they're really on board with it. And well, yeah, it's, it's, it's great music. It's, I mean, it's, it's probably been, timeless. It's probably been really influential in terms of you think of lip syncing. You know, in terms of what, how many people are doing that these days. You know, these all these lip syncing shows and things like that. But it's also, I think, it's also played quite a a big part in again Burton's career. He's there's been a lot of key musical moments in his film. So there's been like in Mars Attacks. There's there's you know the old again 1950s music is the 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 way that we managed to kill the aliens because yeah. they can't stand the sound of it. He's done Sweeney Todd, which is a full, you know full out musical. There's obviously Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and obviously there's The Nightmare Before Christmas as well. So there's it's yeah again it's, it's sort of a key part of his establishing over. But one thing I noticed during that sequence is that Lydia, Buenaudo Rider's character, just completely disappears. Yeah. She's not in that sequence at all, and I'm not sure why. Where she's supposed to be. Yeah. We'll get back to that. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're great characters, great supporting uh, characters. George and I talk about this a lot because we... We see them as in their in their roles as supporting characters, but obviously since then we've seen them go on to be bigger and better things. And I think part of that is because they had to do characters. I think actors had to do a lot more to get into films. Getting onto TV wasn't enough. Whereas today, getting onto TV for some, especially on streaming, is the main goal. But a lot of these actors that we talk about in the films that we cover, they're happy being, and they take it very seriously being supporting actors. Obviously. Wyona Ryder went on to be many other things other than just a shoplifter. And, um, <laughs> but you've also got the... Um, the dad who was in... Uh, I, I remember him most because I think he had a bigger role in it, even as another supporting actor, is in The, the Devil's Advocate, the 
But he's also most people. Oh, will sorry, remember, from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, the, the principal from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. The mum, um, whose whose name I for the be- last time I am not Bed Midler <laughs> or, or Annette Benning. I <laughs> don't confuse me with yeah. either of those. I'm uh, not Bed Midler. Um, but Is no. She the secret of my success. No, that's that's not Bed. That's Midler. the other one who looks like Bed Midler. I you, think it's her. Yeah, we've, we've, no, it's not her. It's not her. Sure, okay. It's not the girl from, not the one from Beetlejuice. I, I'll get I, you I, for this Midler. <laughs> we've gone on a Bed Midler tangent. Oh dear. Um, no, uh, I'm really ashamed. I've, I've completely forgotten the actress's name, but she's very good because she is married to Christopher Guest, who is one of the guys from Spinal Tap, and he's done loads of fake documentaries so she has cropped up in loads of his films so um best in show you know the one about dogs i have um, i'm familiar with it yeah um but she's in a show on amazon that my wife loves called uh Shit's creek ah yes Catherine o'hara thank you thank you for reminding me <laughs> uh, my wife Tallulah's like she is basically playing an older version of that character in Shit's Creek. Yeah. She's like a really sort of, you know, someone in her like inner 60s, but like completely pretentious, you know, full of herself. I think she's great in this. Yeah. Oh, she's fantastic. She keeps it alive and she plays off very well with the dad. Jeffrey, what's his face? Um, yeah. And, uh, and Winona Ryder as well. Yeah. But it's like, everything's fine. I've got my art. I need to have my art. Your dad has designs on why he wants this house and you're stuck here and none of us care about you. Yeah, I mean, the family dynamic between the three of them is great. No, but I love how the fact that even her own agent thinks her work is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's so it's so bleak, it's so modern, it's so... It's everything that's wrong with Art Nouveau. Yeah, and the, the, the stuff that I love uh, in this, and I think it really adds to the... What I'm saying that Tim Burton otherworldliness, that retro Tricky, charm is weird. Is the stop motion? I love the yeah. fact you know when it's got all the her pieces of art coming to life, dragging themselves along the and ground, caging them and stuff. Yeah, and it's and it's as you said, we were chatting about this. It's not an overly scary film, and it and it like Ghostbusters, like it, we did for last Halloween. Yeah, like Ghostbusters, it rides that line of or toes that line of that nice balance of horror comedy that it's. It has moments of gore, you know, yeah. Gina Davis ripping her face off, cutting off Alec Baldwin's head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've talked about all the, the various different people in the, um, in the netherworld uh, with their afflictions. But it, it has moments of creepiness rather than outright terror. Yeah, it's, it's trippy, it's creepy, it's weird, it's strange, it's bizarre, but it's not horror. And it, but it, it adds to the charm in a way. Yeah, it's, it's the quirkiness of it all. And I think it emphasises what that means to, uh, to Tim Burton, is the fact that it always needs to be, it's like, yes, there is death, there is this thing, but the best way to approach anything like that, to make it truly artistic, is why not do the... It's easy to do the horror. It's easy to do the exploding heads and the monsters. Why not actually try to make that funny? I think yeah, it takes the, more... The, the zaniness. Yeah, it makes it much more creative. Mm. And, and it's something that he's put his own stamp on, hasn't it? That's very... That, that fine balance of grotesque but funny well that's why it's weird to go back to this film because I had not watched this film since we were younger and since then I've watched everything pretty much everything else Mm. that Tim Burton's made and it's so weird to go back and watch this after seeing all of the the range that he has and the different films he's done, whether it's been you know Sleepy Hollow, or, or the Batman, or the you know you were talking about was he the Sweeney Todd the musical? 
and seeing that yeah, he does have a certain style, but this is very much the template mm. that, that became not just with Danny Elfman, but his style and the the quirky, misunderstood outsider's view very mm. much brings you into that Championing view. the outsider. That obviously yeah. he was, because him, man, I was a goth. I mean, <laughs> he was just so understood, went to art school and stuff. <laughs> um, but there's, even, there's a character in um, South Park that if you watch, like there's a goth character in that, and I just think that they've entirely modelled this character on, him, man, I'm Tim Burton. Just <laughs> let it go, man. There's a, a brilliant sketch that I'll have to put on the blog that has like a sort of a pitch meeting with Tim Burton, and it's like, get Johnny Depp on the phone, get get Hannah Bonham Carter, and I, I want to fiddly dee, fiddly dee, fiddly dee, Danny Elfman on the music. Yeah, and it's sort of like everything has to be black. I, I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of of Tim Burton's work, as as we've talked about. You know, obviously, Batman is one of my favourite films, but he he was such, and it's quite a pretentious term, but he was such an auteur. You know, he he has his such a unique style that I think arguably he has kind of lost in his recent films like I'm struggling what was the one with um, Eva Grenin and Johnny Depp <laughs> Dark, Dark, Dark Shadows yeah which that had moments of brilliance but didn't hold together very well yeah again it has that very similar thematically to, to Beetlejuice with that whole family trying small town zany yeah. death yeah sort of whatever juggling the the yeah um creepiness other world with small town dynamics and it's very adam's family as well and yeah it, it just kind of it, it kind of felt like a parody of himself that film yeah but what then, if what if you did this? What if you made a film like me, but with less imagination, and I need the money? Well, that's it. It's just like I, th- I think he's really gone off the boil recently, and I'm struggling to think of like the recent stuff other than Dark Shadows. I know he did. Um, he's done a few more sort of more what I would categorise. I'm doing air comedy, grown up films. So obviously, um, one of his stronger uh, more recent films is Big Fish I was just going to say that yeah and apparently that was very personal to him because I think it was about his father had just passed away so it was very uh, yeah close to his heart I think he's just about to release he's well he did the Alice in Wonderland for, for Disney and he's now just about to release Dumbo and it's like you don't need to do that. Do 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 unique stuff. Do original stuff. Why yeah. do add re- to your portfolio yeah. rather than somebody else's? But, but, but maybe maybe feels like he's, you know, he's shot his load. <laughs> My God. <laughs> So yeah, we've we've kind of well, we're talking about what the film means to us. We're yeah. talking about how it's aged and what what it meant to him. I you think. know what we haven't talked about? What Robert Goulet? Bobby Goulet. Now get uh, me Maxie Dean on the phone. I mean, I want to live, go back and live in a time where people used to say that. Get me somebody on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but Maxie Dean's excited about this, and that's the. I love it. The whole yuppie the scheme y- is real estate, baby. It's, yeah. it's the Lex Luthor sort of what's important, real estate, baby. Property, baby. For those of you who don't know who Robert Goulet is, he's probably best known to film audiences and UK audiences as the bad guy in Naked Gun 2 and a half, but the, the smell of fear. He's sort of like... I, I, he's a crooner. Yeah, he's a... So, but he, 
Uh, well, he's, define crooner first of all. So he's a, basically he's a, a singer. Um, That's so, what I'm saying. He's the type of guy who would like turn up on your cruise and sing. Yeah, you know, he's, 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 like he's, a, he's like a Vegas entertainer. Yeah. So he's sort of a lesser Frank Sinatra. It's, it's what it's what who's, happened. Who's after. the guy? Who's the guy from uh, Wayne Newton from License to Kill? <laughs> bless, bless your bless heart. your heart. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those. But yeah, he's he's a classic. He's uh, on before Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a classic singer crooner, um, but he's also obviously dabbled in in acting as well. So yeah, he's been doesn't it, take himself very seriously. Which I no, think he's, is, he's 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 got good. he's got very good comic timing as as evidenced in Naked Gun two and a half. But yeah, we um, Charlie and I also love him because he is also the subject of a very good Will Ferrell sketch that again we will probably share on the blog at some point um, which is Robert Goulet doing gangster hip hop classics I haven't watched that for a good few years now I'd, I'd enjoy giving that another it's, watch it's, uh, it's yeah it's probably Will Ferrell it. at, his, at his best there's the final act stuff which is Keaton on 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 Keaton and Burton on top form, so you've got him turning up as the merry-go-round, and there's a few sort of Easter eggs in there that aren't really Easter eggs. That the fact that when he comes up as the merry-go-round on the top of his head, there's a skeleton figure which looks exactly like Jack Skeleton, which is the lead character from Nightmare Before Christmas. Michael Keaton also has bat ears, which yeah. is kind of funny premonition there. Yeah. <laughs> There's some nice little nods there. Um, but they really go to town on the on the aesthetics. It's like, what can we do? And it's like, the, the there is some special effects of 1988. Mm. CGI hadn't been invented yet. It was very much like glass mirrors and focus. But, but and stuff. I think Burton was purposely going for that because he knew he had a limited budget. It and needed and to again, be tactile. It, but yeah. again, it adds to that retro feel of the stop motion. They did a lot of stuff with mirrors, like I old think school. It ages better than bad CGI. Yeah, it? definitely. But yeah, there's, there's some brilliant stuff and that that final scene um, and obviously you've got the transition from Alec Baldwin stuck in model world yeah you've and got, all the things that are going wrong there yeah uh, M- Michael Keaton just going nuts and there's so much stuff that he's talking it's such a performance he's talking so fast you almost have to go back and watch oh, he's no, doing I mean, all this stuff where he's talking on behalf of like Wynoda Ryder and yeah. that stuff when he first appears where he's like <laughs> you know but when he goes hey we're wearing the same clothes and he's like dressed as Alec Baldwin he's like hey come on buddy and he's yeah, like we could be friends yeah and he's like <laughs> be well whilst he's trying to feel up Gina Davis I mean it's yeah. it's such a good uh, performance and I think that's the the testament of of Burton, but obviously of keeping that you want him in the film more, and it's bizarre that he is the best part of the film, but he's in it as we said less than twenty percent. What do you think was the conversation between the two? So, what what do you want from the Spielgis character? I don't know. He's got to be like a demon, but he's kind of got to be good and bad. Like, I mean, what did Burton say to him? Say to you know, Malkin like. What do you got? Well, show me everything you've got. You yeah. Know? Well, that's it. I think... Wisecracking, con artist yeah. type, you know. And I'm sure I read somewhere or I maybe heard on um, another podcast, you know, when uh, Keaton says to him, well, well, what are your credentials? And he's like, well, I, I trained at Juilliard. And uh, and, then the, and yeah. apparently that is Keaton's career. He did study at Juilliard yeah. and did like did all this training. So he's basically he's just very saying, improv. Yeah, he's just basically saying his own sort of his actual real credentials. It's a, a, a great film, I think. And as we say, it's 
been so influential on his other films. I mean, I think it's arguable. I, I may have said in our Batman episode, I think probably Burton's best film depends. It could fall somewhere between Edward Scissorhands, but I think uh, Edward is a brilliant film. Again, massive 50s kitsch. Again, it's got uh, same guy in with that we can't remember, you know, the... The, the dad, uh, the principal from... Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Spiel. Jones, isn't it? Jeffrey Jones, yeah, that sounds about right. In terms of this film has been a... You know, it was a big success. It's a cult classic. There was a... Being the 80s, uh, there was a uh, family... Well, kiddie-friendly spin-off cartoon that Let's I... Let's get animated. That I vaguely remember watching. That I remember... Like Lydia being in it. That's yeah, all I can well, yeah, that's it was, all I can remember. It was the Maitlands definitely weren't in it. The Dietzes were, and it was was basically between the adventures that uh, Lydia and Beetlejuice went on in the afterlife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or affectionately to stop him saying his name, calling him BJ, which just seems a bit that's wrong. much better than Beetlejuice. So that ran for four series, apparently, and Burton was uh, an executive producer on it. But there's been talk for. Well, this film is 30 years old, but it's been talked for decades about a potential Beetlejuice sequel. And all the key people involved, um, Burton, Keaton, and... Especially uh, Jeffrey Jones. (laughs) (laughs) I need the work. Especially Jeffrey Jones, but we won't go into his shady background. And Winona Ryder as well. They've all talked about the same old thing. We're getting the band back together. The the, the same old thing (laughs) with the right script. They've obviously said... They're not going to do it without Burton. They're yeah, not yeah, going to re. They're not going to reboot it, recast it without Keaton. Yeah, and so there has been scripts that is going through uh, that have been written and unproduced. One of them was apparently, you'll love this. Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii. I was going to say it's like Holiday on the Buses. Holiday on the Buses. So apparently one of the scripts was the 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 has obviously had learnt nothing, and the sequel that they opened a uber art nouveau new um, hotel on hawaii and then awoke enraged some local hawaiian ghosts so they have oh. to release beetlejuice to banish the ghosts and yeah, aloha halloween it no. just it just sounds, sounds, sounds awful terrible. but yeah i say that there's been scripts uh rec- i think it was even as early as recent as you know 2016 they were working on a script and burton was saying yeah again you know we're thinking about it Bizarrely, in doing my research, I've uncovered that what's coming very soon is Beetlejuice the musical. They're doing it on Broadway that in America. Work. Yeah, that could work. And if... well, as we've talked about, you know, it's got some some of the strongest scenes in the film are the musical moments. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's actually due to preview in uh, on Broadway. And it's the... all very visual. You know, you can have loads of stuff going on on the stage. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it'll work really well. Let's do it. Let's so, let's let's put on a production. Let's put on a show. So yeah, that is launching pretty much you know probably by the time this podcast is being uh, published coming in your ears coming in your ears right now it will have previewed it on broadway so i'm not entirely sure how the theater works but i think there's obviously previews and then if it's a success it's properly picked up uh, for a permanent thing so time will tell but it does have potential to be a decent musical Shall we jump into... Shall we release Celine and Jeff? Well, they're both around. They've been around since the late 80s. (laughs) Yeah, let's hit it. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. So actors that 
maybe should have played the role that were, were lined I'm up. I'm trying to get my head. So, I mean, around this sort of time, who would have been big? I mean, it was it was the late 80s. So we're talking like the, the Bruce Willis sort of Arnie no, Stallone, so Michael Douglas. Um, oh, I'm Michael, trying to think. Michael Douglas. He would try and have <laughs> sex with everybody. <laughs> Sorry, George. Put me on my misery. Who so, actually was concerned? Well, you're never going to guess one. Um, apparently... Tim Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Tim Burton originally wanted Sammy Davis Jr. Um, wow. A, a favourite star, uh, who's a favourite star of his since childhood, but the studio executives didn't like that idea at all. I can be Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'm going to go and hang with some cats. <laughs> Apparently, more sort of logically, Dudley Moore was considered for the yeah. role. You can see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And for the role of Lydia, it seems like there's a lot of who's who uh, sort of young upcoming actresses. young child so actresses yeah. Juliette Lewis uh, Diane Lane uh, Horseface I mean J Sarah Jessica Parker uh, Brooke Shields Molly Ringwald and Jennifer Connelly Molly Ringwald still sounds like a problem you have in your shower <laughs> <laughs> I've got a terrible bout of Molly Ringwald oh yeah well that's what happens you put in one of those showers it builds up oh, after a few years I haven't been keeping it clean specialising in um, showers drains and Molly Ringwald so um, so yeah that's that's coulda woulda shoulda brilliant well I mean the only thing I'd like to say after that is, uh, I've mentioned before, the range of, of Michael Keaton. I'm trying to think, there's the three films that stand out around this sort of time, 80s and 90s, are this, uh -huh. Batman. Uh -huh. And in Batman, there's obviously two different characters, so you're seeing an acting range there. This is a, an amazing thing to add to his portfolio. But the only other thing that's, that stands out in a similar vein is multiplicity. Yeah. In the, this guy has range and I kind of think like why haven't we seen it but we kind of have like we've seen him playing two completely different roles in Batman we've seen him going nuts in this film and then in Multiplicity if you don't know it is where he plays seven different versions of himself or is it four shut up <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, multiple versions multiple, of himself we'll edit that shut out up. Um, but no, I think that's it, and that's something that I've I've always been I've always big fan of Keaton's big yeah. big fan of Keaton's. Obviously, you know, biased because of of growing up with that version of Batman. But he's had a resurgence recently. You know, obviously Birdman Birdman was a brilliant role for him because of of all of his career choices. But it was a great. It is a that sort film's of, just perfect. Yeah, it, was, it did deserve its Oscar, and it's and it's a tragic comedy. You know, it is it, he has he has that moment to do both sides of the you know play the the funny card but also the tragic yeah, the, the, the <laughs> tragic as well and but yeah he has predominantly over the past you know even with his resurgence is more um serious roles i mean and i'm just glad that he is having a resurgence yeah and, and, and he's, he's still getting work yeah, I mean, as I say, I still haven't seen... I've got to see that film with the reporters. Is it Spotlight? I still haven't seen that so as well. Because well, it's a serious sit-down. It's too, too bleak. It's a serious sit-down. Not, not enough car chases none and explosions. Of yeah, not enough uh, guys getting their guns off. Um, but no, obviously, glad to see him. And obviously, popped up. I think he does a great little thing in Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's brilliant in Spider-Man. And um, the way he's used in that, and similar in the way he's used in Birdman, I think, I don't know if he comes up with these ideas or the, the, mm. it's the director, but um, I think he he hasn't just done the 
would, what I think you could accuse um, the you know the other actors who've had these resurgences, like in in Pulp Fiction, our favourite uh, Travolta. John Travolta. John Travolta came back and just has kind of acted. Matthew McConaughey has done you know brilliantly yeah. well and has had this. Whereas I think Keaton's come back and said, well, I'm going to do some crazy ass shit, you know? Yeah, and I, th- he, I think he does pick some interesting projects. He does sort of keep it quite varied. Yeah, a thesp. In, but doesn't bang on about it. So that was Beetlejuice. Anything, anything else to add on that? Uh, no, I, th- I think we've 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 talked. Any other ourselves. Halloween films to recommend? I well, mean, obviously we love well, Ghostbusters. Well, it was, it was we it, picked this because it was the, you know obviously thirty year anniversary. It's, it made sense. It touches, there wasn't anything else in the running. It no. touches back on um, you know what we talked. You know, obviously we had a good chat about Batman previously, but it was tough. I think we will, and I think a lot of people have asked are asking us to do Lost Boys I think that is that's probably uh, coming next Halloween so co- co- if, yeah. if you're still alive um, yeah. and haven't if, if, if planet Earth is still alive yeah who knows who knows and what <coughs> we've got more importantly than planet Earth George what have we got coming up next so, so we've got another 30th anniversary and it's it's a big one for it's, Retro Ramble is it a Christmas film I think it's lead actor came out and said well, it's not a Christmas movie but we will the sequels, just we will discuss it after the sequels he's made should he really have a say yes Um, so yes we are doing Die Hard yes which is yeah. we waited two years we can't hide from it there's a lot of other sequels that we're going to have to do on it yes we were very close to doing it last Christmas but we thought we'd wait it's the 30 year anniversary it's Arguably one of the best action films ever made. It's um, the Die Hard of Die Hard movies. It, it's the Die Hard of... <laughs> very good point, Charlie. And it's Christmas Theo. It's a time of miracles. Yeah, so come back. that'll be coming out towards the end of November, just in time for Christmas. And then around Christmas, there will be episodes coming out. But they will be a surprise. Nobody knows what they are. Not even we. Not even we. Not even we. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Get out there trick-or-treating. If you're in America, go nuts with this pagan time of year and dress up. And please, you know, if you do like uh, listening to our podcasts and... Keep spreading the love. Yeah, yeah. we're getting some great feedback. Great um, thanks for all the people who are actually just sharing our link to the the actual Mm. episodes. Appreciate that. Thanks for the the reviews on iOS. Yes, they're, they're, they're really important to us. So yeah, if you do have a spare chance and and do enjoy listening to the show, please leave us a, re- a review on iTunes. We do accept four-worded reviews, so one word for the title and a three-worded review. I mean, that's four words. Yeah. It's not going to take a much of your time. And yeah, we're we're available on on all our usual platforms. Check out we we put out the the odd occasional funny stuff on Facebook, on Twitter, through our blog retroramble.blog. And yeah, if there are we're any, we're going to be running some polls uh, about what's your favourite certain films from the eighties and nineties. Once we figured out how polling works on our Facebook page, yes. But we, if you want to start your own poll on our web on our with the Retro Ramble hashtag, go for it. Yes, know. we are. We've got a few films under consideration for next year, but we would like your input. So let us know if there's any favourite films of yours that you'd like us to cover. Let us know on those channels. We won't necessarily do what you ask but to quote the next upcoming films we will take it under advisement so until next time I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McGee and we'll see you next time bye 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 bye